I don't know about you, but I always check out reviews. When we're traveling, I check out hotels and restaurants and all the hotspots so we don't waste our time and money. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you take a few minutes to rate and review little things? Reviews drive traffic to the podcast, and we just want as many people as possible to know Jesus. And if an episode speaks to you, would you share it with someone who it may encourage? Thank you for your support. Today's episode is called, What Will It Take to Change? Hey guys, it's Amber, wife, mother, warrior, type A child of God. Here at Little Things, we examine everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for joining me. And I'm talking to those of you who are visionaries out there who love to see change and who see how you could strategically change things for the better, but a lot of times you're put down because people just aren't ready for it. Or maybe I'm speaking to you if you are really struggling because a family member or a friend or someone in your congregation or someone at your workplace is really stuck in a certain situation. You can see the change that needs to happen, but they can't see it. What do we do? And what will it take for the people around us, for the situations around us, for maybe even us? What will it take to change? Recently, I had a conversation with a friend that was very intriguing to me. This friend said that, um, and he was quoting from someone else, he said, five steps ahead, you're a leader, 10 steps ahead, you're a target. And that really started me thinking, I thought, well, why is that? And he was saying, well, you know, because we all struggle with, you know, we get in this comfort zone and we have this, this collective we can only move so fast. So whether it's a company or an organization or ministry, we can only move so fast. And it's okay to be ahead of the game to a certain extent, but if you're way ahead of where people are comfortable going, then they tend to want to get rid of you. And I thought that was just such an amazing concept that I hadn't really put a lot of time into thinking about. But I had a situation, my brother was uh, employed at a certain business, and he had mentioned to me his frustration because he kept telling these people that their signage was all wrong. So they had this little sign that was sort of buried in the bushes, and it was on this major roadway. And he was saying, you know, we really, if we want to attract more business, one of the things we need to do is have this, you know, mega sign that's more up to date and where we can really advertise what we're doing. And um, he went on and left that place. He got his master's degree in marketing, went to a different job. And five or so years after he had left that place, I had to pull off the side of the road because I was passing that business and they were digging footings for this huge new sign they were putting up. So I pulled off the side of the road. I took a picture. I texted him. I said, if only you weren't five years ahead of your time. And he responded by saying, story of my life, Amber, story of my life. Um, which is so true for people who really see things. It can just be incredibly frustrating to slow down or to be in a position of wanting to enact change but not being able to do it. 
if we're honest, collaborative change takes time. And that's super disappointing for those of us who want it to happen like now. So when we read the Old Testament, you know, we will see that change occurred. So maybe change happened for the bad where people turned and they embraced idolatry. Or maybe there was a major reform and we see that change happened for the good. And we and we read that in two or three or four chapters and we think, yes, that's what I want. But we're not realizing that those two or four chapters cover a 40-year period of time. So what we can read, you know, in 10 or 15 minutes really happened much more slowly than we recognize. Change also a lot of times takes several voices consistently saying the exact same thing before we hear it. We often don't even hear what someone is saying the first time, but the second or the third or the fourth time that somebody says it or somebody else says what somebody has been saying, it starts to sink in. In fact, after that exact conversation with my friend that had intrigued me so much, I had a ministry conversation with a totally different person and I brought this up and this friend said to me, Amber, I have been telling you this for years. (laughs) I just started laughing. I said, you know what's funny is I probably wasn't ready to hear that. Because I I believe it when you say that you were telling me, I believe that I must not have been ready to hear it. So the changes that you want to see in your life, the family that you have or in your society, in your neighborhood, in the world, what do you do about that? Recently, I was in a heated debate, I'm sad to say. Um, I was, I, I deeply respect the person that I was arguing with, but there's a certain aspect of ministry that we have not agreed on for years. And so this comes up every now and then, and it's not always a conversation that I have. Sometimes it's a conversation that other people are, who are involved in the ministry have with a certain person, and several of us think one way, and this other person thinks a very different way. And so it was my turn to be in this very heated discussion. And um, afterwards, you know, we had had this discussion and it, it didn't go very well. And we sort of decided to let it drop for the time being. And after thinking about it and praying about it, I sent a a follow-up email, and the person responded with another follow-up email that kind of said, okay, now we're going to drop it, and it is what it is. And um, I, I just hate unresolved issues. I don't particularly care for conflict. I can handle conflict. I, I don't shy away from it, but I unresolved conflict just tends to be something that keeps me up at night and I just I just want to get it smoothed out. And so I had mentioned to my husband that I really, you know, needed to address this again. And he said to me, "You know, Amber, I think what you need to do is pray about it every night for some time and let God do the work. He'll change the other person's heart or you'll he'll change your heart, but you need to stop talking and pray and let God do his thing. And my husband was 100% absolutely right. Because in the process of this heated debate, I hadn't spent a lot of time praying about it. Because I pretty much knew I was right. (laughs) 
or at least I thought I was. And I had, I kept coming up with all these different reasons that, you know, this point of view was the right point of view. And my husband was 100% right. And as if I needed that extra little nudge that he had hit the nail on the head, just a few days later, Jackie Hill Perry released a video that, that really um, drove that idea home. So if you don't know, Jackie Hill Perry is the author of Gay Girl, Good God. And she talks about how she was a lesbian and God really worked in her heart and led her out of that. And um, so in this interview, this interviewer asked her, what do you say to parents who are struggling with, you know, maybe a teen or a young adult who says they're gay or transgender? And her first response was, well, I would tell them to pray. And the interviewer scoffed as if she had given this very trite answer. And so she took this um, three minutes in this video to explain. And she says, you know, the Bible tells us over and over to pray. It doesn't give us a three-step program for how to get out of um, whatever mess that we're in. And we always want to look to ourselves. So if you just do this, A, B, C, and D, then you will get this. But the truth is, only God can change a lot of the situations in our hearts. And only God knows, for instance, in this, um, in this, for instance, as she was saying, only God knows the parents' hearts, only God knows the children's hearts, only God knows the circumstances surrounding it. So she said, for me to sit in an interview and tell parents who may be in very different circumstances, you know, well, this is what you need to do. She's like, I'm not God. How can I do that? Such an important reminder that if we're not praying, we really shouldn't expect change. We are so limited in what we can do, what we can bring about. Um, some change might come. Maybe it comes because someone else is praying. For years, I had a praying mother and a praying grand- grandfather who, you know, uh, uh, their prayers changed a lot of things in my life, whether I realized it at the time or not. But eventually, if those people aren't around anymore, or um, if the situation in your life is something that they don't even know about, it comes down to, have you prayed? Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. It is our direct line to God. Why would we want to neglect that? Why would we want to get into these situations that are so overwhelming to us that we really think we can handle it, but the more we try to handle it, the digger, the deeper our hole is dug, the bigger the mess becomes. Why do we try to do that? I don't know how we can look at the world without wanting to see change. So many things keep going wrong and so many things show that the world is in a state of panic and um, there's this inner turmoil in people's lives and it it keeps bubbling over and we keep thinking, no, it can't get worse. And then all of a sudden we turn around and, and it's worse. So I hope that we can all become a people of prayer because it's such a simple thing, but it is, if we're honest, something that we overlook far too often and we cannot make that mistake. James, who was Jesus' half-brother, he said this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. 
Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That is our weapon. We can pray. One person. I'm so glad that James said that. Elijah was one person. We don't need to be on 50 prayer chains for something to change. We need to go to the Lord. And Elijah, as James said, was a man just like us. He wasn't um, better than the rest of us. He was sinful too. I mean, God was so good to show that. And so we have the encouragement. We too can go to God with all the things that are on our mind. And if you worry that your problem is too big, then let me remind you of what Hezekiah was facing. In Hezekiah's day, the Assyrian army was the most feared in all the world. And in 2 Chronicles 32, we hear about Jerusalem being under siege with the Assyrian army at its doorsteps. This is what we're told. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? When Hezekiah says the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria, he is misleading you to let you die of hunger and thirst. Do you not know what I and my predecessors have done to all the peoples of all the other lands? Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations that my predecessors destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Then Sennacherib and his advisor called out in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them and make them afraid in order to capture the city. They spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did about the gods of the other peoples of the world, the work of human hands. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and all the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all 
the others. Then just a few verses later, we read, In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord, who answered him, and gave him a miraculous sign. Whether it's illness, so something that was just affecting Hezekiah, or war against the mightiest force in the world at the time, uh, Hezekiah went to God in prayer. He knew he couldn't do it on his own. He can't fight this vast army. He can't destroy them. He's under siege. He can't even get out. He can't fight his way out of his city. But God, with one command to his angel, took care of the entire army. And God, with one command, healed Hezekiah. The weapon? Prayer. We cannot neglect this very, very mighty tool that God has given us in our Christian walk. And let me just remind you that Jesus prayed. Jesus, who was 100% God and yet 100% man, he left the crowds. He left his disciples He went away to spend time with his heavenly father. He went to communicate with God, his father. If Jesus, while walking the earth, made the time to get in line with his father, to communicate, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus walked away to pray. He knew what was going to happen. And as he prayed, Angels attended him and strengthened him. God will do something through our prayers. He will either answer our prayers with a yes, yes, I'm going to change the situation right now. Or he might answer the prayers with a not yet. Or he might say, no, this change is not for your good or it's not going to happen right now or I'm not going to do it that way. But something will happen. And oftentimes what happens in the process when, when God says no, whatever it is that you're asking for, that's not going to that's not gonna change right now, or it's maybe not going to change at all. God does something for us. Maybe he strengthens us. Maybe he changes us. Maybe he gets rid of the pride that's been um, really a stumbling block in our relationship to God. Something will be done. And so we have to go to God in prayer, knowing and believing and trusting that he will answer our prayers in the best way possible for his glory. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you listening each week. Your prayers and continued support for Time of Grace are such a blessing. Don't forget to rate and review Little Things and come back next week for more biblical encouragement.